It's been said that Americans revere the Bible, but they don't necessarily read the Bible. And for now, at least, a majority of the people still believe the Bible is a special book, a spiritual book. And many still believe it came from God. But I guess that's no longer enough for them to find out what he has to say. Now, I guess we can't say Bible illiteracy is at an all-time high because once upon a time, most people couldn't even read. But I guess we can say Bible illiteracy has been on a steep incline in America. Polls from Gallup, Barna, and Lifeway have all confirmed a sad state of affairs. Less than half of adults can name all four Gospels. Most people can only muster one or two names of Christ's disciples. 60% of Americans cannot name even five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of people believe the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. Now you laugh, but that same poll showed 81% of people who identify as born-again Christians likewise believe The phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. The vast majority of people have done little to no Bible reading in their lives, and only 11% claim to have read the entire Bible. With numbers these sad, you might think, you know, Bible sales have fallen on hard times. But that is not the case. To the contrary, 87% of households own a Bible. And the average household has three. There are also countless of free Bible apps now. So Bible access is actually unprecedented. That is not the problem. People just aren't reading the Bible as much as they used to. Most seem to treat Bible reading like dieting or exercise. They know in the back of their mind, like, it's a good thing to do. I I should do that. I should get around to doing that. But they just never do. The way things have been headed in America... We expect Bible illiteracy from the culture, but the same studies have shown that the very same issues and problems exist also in the church. I believe there are many people who do come to genuine faith in Christ. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe in a sermon, maybe someone shares the gospel with them. They genuinely repent and believe. They're trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're born again. But a portion of these people thereafter never go on to pick up a Bible, read it, study it. There are some, perhaps in other countries, who truly do not have access to the Bible. But those in America can't use that excuse just for various reasons. They don't thereafter really get into the Bible. Maybe they also attend a church that feeds them just a meager portion of the word. They never challenged. They're never exposed to all that the Bible has to offer. And as a result, they remain in this perpetual state of ignorance and immaturity. They don't really know better, but this can lead them to maybe accept some wrong beliefs and they might be genuinely saved, but still be going astray in this area or that area or believe something here or something there that the Bible doesn't actually teach. That can lead to faulty practice And that's obviously a big problem. What these people need is to long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, they may grow in respect to their salvation. That's just 1 Peter 2, verse 2. There are others, though, who are not like this. They come to faith in Christ. And thereafter, they do start to read the Bible. They start to ingest the word. But they read exclusively the New Testament. Naturally, they want to learn more about this Jesus figure in whom they've believed. That's appropriate. They want to learn what he's done, what he's said. Also, what else has been directed to us, the church? And so it's actually appropriate for them to read the New Testament. makes perfect sense. It's commendable. In fact, I often recommend new believers begin in the New Testament. If someone comes to faith or to salvation, I'll set them up in the Gospels, start to go through the Gospels, and then into the Epistles, because... The New Testament is the revelation of God that pertains to the new covenant, which you enter when you're made alive in Christ. Whether or not you even know what that means, still, well, the new believer, it only makes sense they would begin in the New Testament. That's fine. But that being said, sooner or later, you need to get around to reading and studying your 
Old Testament. And though the New Testament is most relevant to you, that doesn't mean the Old Testament is irrelevant to you. It still matters, and you still need to know it a lot. I trust you know the verse, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God will be adequate, equipped for every good work. You know, when Paul wrote that to Timothy, when he says scripture, graphe in the Greek, it's, it's, what did he have in mind? As the New Testament was just being written, primarily he had in mind, well, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. When they thought of the scriptures, they thought of the Old Testament. We no longer live under the Old Covenant, and so the Old Testament does not directly apply to the church. That's something we'll learn a lot about as we go on. But nonetheless, it's still God's word, and Paul still says it's profitable in many ways. We're not theocratic Israel living in the wilderness, for example, but that doesn't mean it's no longer profitable in many ways. It's all inspired, and he says it's all still profitable. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, it's still valuable. It's still useful for teaching and training that we might live rightly before God and and bear fruit. And so all this goes to say, if you're neglecting the Old Testament, you're robbing yourself of a treasure that has been given to you. It's kind of like you own land, a large piece of land, and on your land, there's a gold mine and a silver mine. But you never use the silver mine because you've got a gold mine and you get more out of it. It's like, why, why would I waste time with silver when I can get gold? And so you just mine the gold mine nonstop and just completely neglect the silver mine but that would be a mistake. I mean, for one, silver is still, like last time I checked, pretty valuable. You might as well get both. Why not just have both? Also, like the mine already belongs to you. It costs you nothing. It's, it's yours. And furthermore, there's this treasure to be had. Because scattered in that silver mine, there's actually lots of hidden gold and some diamonds. They also belong to you. They're on your land. You just have to search for them and find them and they're yours. There's a lot of treasure to be had. I think that's enough of a setup where we can now introduce our study for tonight and where we're going with all this, introducing a new Bible study series here on Sunday nights, which we've titled Getting to Know the Old Testament. Because there is treasure compared to, you know, it is a time of shadows compared to the New Testament where the light has come. It might be like a silver mine compared to a gold mine in some respects, but it's still treasure nonetheless. It's God's word given to us for us to feed on, to know him. And there's still plenty of gold in the Old Testament. And so we're going to study that. This study is designed to help address the problem of well, biblical illiteracy and Old Testament illiteracy in specific. If people today don't really read their Bibles, don't know their Bibles that well, I mean, forget about the Old Testament. Those same people, they're not going to know anything from the Old Testament. But this is ex- issue even exists within the church. And so this is kind of us doing our part in our local church to make sure our people would not be those in those surveys who are just don't know anything about God's word. And to the contrary, we want to provide equipping for our people to know God's word, to be able to read it themselves for all it's worth and to live it out. That's something we do often with the New Testament. You've all, I think, been at the church for long enough. So on Sunday mornings, our regular gatherings, even Wednesday nights, we're typically going through something from the New Testament. Sunday mornings, verse by verse, through books from the New Testament. That makes sense. It is most relevant to the church. We're in the New Covenant. But, you know, we need to do this with the Old Testament as well from time to time. Just at least spend some corporate time together teaching through the Old Testament. That's what we're doing on Sunday nights. You know, the difference is this is not going to be a verse-by-verse exposition through the whole Old Testament. That might take a couple decades. I think it's been done before. I do believe J. Vernon McGee made it through Old Testament verse-by-verse, kind of high-level running commentary style. It still takes decades. But for our time, we want to just begin by equipping you and encouraging you to read and study the Old Testament yourself on your own, and just to give some background study to enrich your own understanding and reading of the Old Testament, which you're all doing, right? 
Now, you're all spending some time every now and then reading through the Old Testament, right? I'm, I'm sure you are. More specifically, though, what we have in mind with this new series is to just give you big picture studies on every book of the Old Testament, one by one. So each week we'll be studying just one book of the Old Testament. Maybe for some of the really short minor prophets, they might be combined, but generally one week per book. So you can picture a whole week, but only one week studying Genesis. And that's it. We're moving on. There's no two-parters here. We're just going to keep moving. And the whole week studying Exodus. But this is 40,000 feet. We're not going to be able to go through verse by verse. But the purpose is to expose you to the main plot, the main people, themes, and purposes of these Old Testament books. That's, that's valuable in itself, but this kind of background information or higher level information hopefully will just greatly enrich your own reading through the Old Testament, just your own understanding of the Old Testament. I think a lot of people stay away from the Old Testament because it's, it's, it's large, it's foreign, it's a different world, different time. We're kind of familiar with like the Roman culture. New Testament, part of it still relates, but the Old Testament's so different, so old and who can relate but just getting some of this higher level information and background will help you just make sense of it and get more out of it. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. This might take a little while, but this study will be broken up into basically units. You might say like five units, smaller units. And from now to the end of this year, we are only focusing on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. These merit some extra special attention at some future point, though, we're going to go through the historical books, the writings, the prophets, and so forth. So this might be broken up over a length of time. We might even study other things in between on Sunday nights. That's fine. Just, but we'll eventually get through them all. And we just want to get the ball rolling, though, on exposing our people to some formal Old Testament teaching. We don't want to do our part as the pastors in neglecting it as well. So that's our aim for this new study starting today. For the rest of our time today, though, what I want to do is just to continue to impress upon you the importance of studying and understanding the Old Testament so that you are just thoroughly convinced you need these lessons. You should be here. In addition, I also want to give you tonight some extra introduction to the Old Testament overall. I want to help you get acquainted with the larger flow and organization of the whole Old Testament, as well as the key events. I mean, what's the basic plot line of the whole Old Testament? What's its purpose? It's real history, but it's written with a purpose in the revelation of God. So what's, what's like the, the main point? We'll see if we can find out from a, a 40,000 foot view. So to get started now, as we just carry on with this general Old Testament introduction tonight, I want to start by speaking more on the importance of the Old Testament, in particular, when it comes to understanding the New Testament. I want to tie the old and new together. It's true, we're new covenant believers. New Testament itself simply means new covenant. And the New Testament is the revelation of God pertaining to this new covenant. But, one big problem is you cannot fully understand and properly understand God's revelation pertaining to the new covenant if you don't properly understand God's revelation pertaining to the old covenant, you know, the one that came before. It's even, even the word and the whole concept of covenant comes from the Old Testament. It's part of the very fabric of the Bible. You can't understand it apart from the Old Testament. So we need to start by just displaying how intertwined the New Testament is with the Old Testament. And they just, they go back and forth. We they need them both. That's why we don't cut the Old Testament out of the Bible. It's still very much needed and important. So let's just begin with displaying, you know, the New Testament use of the Old Testament, the New Testament reliance on the Old Testament. Let's take do a quick survey of this. You could spend years studying the New Testament use of the old. It's actually vast, but how about a quick survey for what it's worth? Turn to the very first page of the New Testament, which is Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 1. 
And you know, the first page and the first verse of the New Testament is 100% reliant on the Old Testament. If you don't know the Old Testament, you can't make sense of the first verse of the New Testament. Matthew 1.1. It says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. You keep reading for 16 verses, you have an Old Testament genealogy. Finishing verse 17, he summarizes. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And we're not setting this right now, but the point is, this, this is not random. Matthew has a very important purpose in organizing it like this and starting his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus. But the point we're making is and the, how much this relates to who Jesus is, which is what Matthew's trying to show. He is the divine Messiah. But he's very purposely and strategically connecting and making sure people know genealogically Christ is connected to Abraham and David. He doesn't go all the way to Adam. Luke in his genealogy goes all the way back to Adam for other theological purposes. But these aren't just like random genealogies. There's purpose here, but you won't understand that if you don't well, know the Old Testament. Who's Abraham? Who's David? Now look at some of these key events. This deportation to Babylon comes up a couple of times. Like, what, What's that all about? Why is that such a big deal? It's a huge deal. Why? And there's other details in here well, that are, of course, completely dependent on the Old Testament. So at least you, you can't understand the first verse or passage of the New Testament without the Old. Now, speaking of Matthew, Matthew's entire gospel relies heavily on the Old Testament and just giving an understanding of Jesus as the Messiah and just who Jesus is. He has messianic prophecies scattered throughout. Look down in chapter 1, verse 22. It's the virgin birth announced to Mary. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I'm not sure if it's the case in your English translation, but in mine, verse 23, it's in all caps lock. If yours is, or if it's in quotation marks, it's indicating it's an Old Testament quote. And you'll find that scattered throughout your New Testament. Every time you see all caps lock, if you have a, an English translation that does that, uh, you know you've got a bunch of Old Testament quotes. And Matthew here is quoting Isaiah, the prophecy of a virgin birth. Same for chapter 2, verse 6. Christ coming from Bethlehem. We know he's born in Bethlehem. Do you know that has important Old Testament prophetic significance? That the, the Magi show up and uh, the, the Jews tell Herod where he's supposed to be born, even though they don't really care where the Messiah, uh, it, that he's supposedly come. But verse five, verse 5, they said to him, Herod, he asked, you know, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea. How do they know that? Well, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And he's talking about Micah. Verse 6, it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means last among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I mean, just the notion of Bethlehem and then Judah itself. Going back to the book of Genesis, prophecies of Judah pertaining to the Messiah. You're going to you'll read right through that. And not know the difference, not know any better, not know what you're missing if you don't know your Old Testament and what's actually being said right there. Which again, that's not our goal tonight to study these passages, but just to show you, wow, I probably should read my Old Testament to figure out my New Testament. Same goes for John the Baptist. It's not just Jesus, chapter 3, verse 3 in Matthew. John shows up, but John didn't come out of nowhere. Verse 3 speaks of John the Baptist and says, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
You also have in Matthew's Gospel, if we're just going to pick on Matthew for a little bit. This is the first book in our New Testament. But Matthew purposely shows Jesus that the phrase is, you know, recapitulating Israel's history. It's in a sense, he's like reliving Israel's history in a kind of uh, typology way. He's coming as the seed of Abraham, and he's, he's going to succeed where Adam failed and where Israel failed. And so in Matthew 2, you have this flight to Egypt, where Jesus goes to Egypt as a baby. But then they come out of Egypt, which Matthew sees as a type of exodus, how this singular seed of Abraham, this uh, the Israelite Jesus, he's come out of Egypt. He's had an exodus. Right after that, in Matthew's gospel, you have Christ's formal ministry in the wilderness, temptation in the wilderness, just like just after the exodus, Israel went to the wilderness where they were tempted and they failed with the golden calf and thereafter. But Christ did not fall. He succeeded. He perfectly kept the law and the will of God. He resisted temptation. He didn't fall. There's a lot more, but in every way where Adam failed and then Israel failed as God's covenant people through which he would bless the world, they failed. Jesus comes. He succeeds. You miss all that if you don't know the Old Testament. In fact, in fact, speaking of Jesus in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, remember he's tempted by Satan? And how does Jesus ward off that temptation? Quotes scripture. Do you know what book? Three times? Deuteronomy. He just quotes three passages from De- Deuteronomy, significant passages. Maybe we'll talk about that when we study Deuteronomy. But Christ himself in Matthew 4, verse 4, verse 7, verse 10 Every time he simply defends temptation by quoting the Old Testament. Hey, if it's good enough for Jesus to overcome temptation, probably good enough for us. Even Matthew's theology, though Matthew is Jewish, it's written to a Jewish Christian audience. He heavily shows the inclusion of Gentiles in the Messiah's mission, which you all know. But did you know that that's not a mystery? The fact that Gentiles will be included in the Messiah's mission comes from the Old Testament. And Matthew shows that from the Old Testament. Look at Matthew 4, verse 14. This explains Christ's ministry to Galilee, which was a Jewish region that was mixed with Gentiles. And Christ was going to minister in a region scattered with Gentiles. Why is he going to minister in Galilee? Why, why not Jerusalem? That's where like the real Jews are, right? But he chose Galilee as home base. Why? Verse 14. Matthew 4, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew connects Christ's ministry, all of it, but also his ministry to even the Gentile world, to the Old Testament. And the same goes for Matthew 12, 17 through 21, which I think for time we won't read, but that takes further in Matthew's gospel, Christ's ministry to the Gentiles, rooted in the Old Testament. Now look, so far we've just been talking about Matthew. That's just the first book in the New Testament, and it's super dependent on the Old Testament, but that's, that's almost every book in the New Testament. There are some that don't directly quote the Old Testament, but then the reliance on the Old Testament is everywhere. You're not going to get away from it. We could, like I said, spend literally months just talking about the New Testament's use of the old. And by the way, if you are going to go through the, the Bible, the New Testament verse by verse, you're going to hit countless Old Testament passages and Well, you're not going to understand that passage unless you understand its original in the Old Testament. But we're not going to keep going with this. I'll just throw some numbers at you. There's 343 Old Testament quotations in the New Testament. That's just direct quotes. There's estimated 2,309 allusions, verbal parallels. Just kind of the, the not direct quote, but the allusion to the Old Testament in the New 2,300. That's a lot in 27 books. The book of Revelation has zero quotes 
from the Old Testament, but some say at least 620 allusions that are crystal clear, like this, this, this imagery, this phrase is being drawn directly from the Old Testament. So hopefully you're, you're just getting this central point. You're, you're not going to be able to read your New Testament in color apart from the Old Testament. To carry on a little bit, you also have the fact that a central doctrine that we still believe today, it's, it's first defined and shaped by the Old Testament. You know, we don't just study the New Testament for doctrine and the Old Testament is just a bunch of, you know, nice moral stories. It's God's word. We, we build theology from the Old Testament as well. I mean, where do you find in the Bible that the clearest explanation of the creation of the world? Well, obviously, Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, the Old Testament first and most directly answers man's lifelong philosophical question. Like, who are we? How did we get here? What's, what is, how did existence come about? The Old Testament answers. The Old Testament also first answers the question, why does this world seem broken? Why does all life end with bitterness and death? Well, Genesis 3 answers. It sets the stage for the fall, for the origin of sin, the problem of death. That, that's, those, these are like utterly foundational issues. And they're, they're found in the Old Testament. God's character is revealed clearly in the Old Testament. He is, for one, a God of justice and wrath and judgment towards sin. You see that in the flood, Genesis 6 through 9. He's, he's only being just in judging the world. But he's also a God of love and mercy and forgiveness and redemption. And you see that in the, in the calling and the choosing of Israel. Abraham, Noah, others, setting his unconditional love on them, not just abandoning this world, but going to great lengths to redeem it and starting to reveal that plan of how he would show his love and redeeming. Oftentimes, these come together. Now, real quick, turn to Exodus 34. An important verse we'll no doubt study in a few weeks from now, but Exodus 34, 6 and 7 It's one of the all-time key verses in the Old Testament. God's own self-disclosure of who he is. Spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai. So you're asking God, like, God, who would you say you are? And if God just spoke for himself directly, this is what he did say to Moses. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. You see in this passage, God revealing himself You see the love of God and the justice of God side by side. You see the kindness of God and the severity of of God side by side. And we know, of of course, later these two come together on the cross. They're reconciled on the cross, but they are revealed in the Old Testament. That's why we need the cross to resolve this tension. How can you show love and forgive, but no one goes free? How can you say you forgive the guilty, but... By no means will the guilty be unpunished. Like, how, do the, how can that ever go together? Well, we know that takes place on the cross. We'll save that. I don't want to steal my thunder. We'll save that for Exodus. That's an important passage. That being said, you know, we think of these gospel truths that we most associate with the New Testament, the good news. You know, there's plenty of good news in the Old Testament, you know. You could be saved just by reading the Old Testament. Now, of course, we, with our revelation of Christ, we need to see it through the lens of Christ and we need the name of Christ uh, to be saved. But there's enough good news in the Old Testament that would lead us to Christ, to the Messiah, where we would find him in the new. The gospel is big enough in the Old Testament for Paul to say this. This is in the Romans 1, 1 through 3. In the introduction of Romans, Paul says, Paul 
a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He's talking about the gospel now. He says, which God promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And then he goes on. What Paul is saying is he's he's minister of the gospel. That gospel was promised a long time ago through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, a.k.a. the Old Testament. He's a minister of that gospel. It's now being revealed in full detail, but it's, it's not brand new. It was promised in the prophets. You know, so much of the Old Testament does reveal the fallenness of man and the futility of the human condition. There's a lot of bad news in the Old Testament. You see a lot of God's judgment, but there's plenty of indications of God's grace and mercy and love, his forgiveness, and his plan of salvation that's being revealed progressively. It's being worked out, and that's being promised through a Messiah figure. That's all over the Old Testament, such that when Jesus comes, he comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Listen to a few verses that show how Jesus comes, and you guys know this, but right in line with all those Old Testament promises. Like John 1.45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the guy that the Old Testament has been talking about, like this Messiah figure. We don't know his name in the Old Testament per se, but we do now. Jesus of Nazareth. We, we found him. It's the one that that was talking about. Jesus said the same thing, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It's these that testify about me. In Luke 24, 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus with the two guys says, beginning with Moses, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And that's, that's talking about the Old Testament exclusively. And Jesus took them through the, the greatest Old Testament Bible study ever, revealing to them the, the full picture of the Messiah just from the Old Testament. So do you really think you're going to arrive at a full understanding of Jesus and his significance without a deep knowledge of the Old Testament? You need to know your Old Testament to know your Savior. At least to know him in, in greater clarity. Can you know him just from the New Testament alone? Of course. Can you be saved, obviously, from the New Testament alone? Yeah, of course. But you want to see a greater depth. And, uh, you know, I, I liken it to black and white versus color. Some read the New Testament only and if, without any knowledge of the Old Testament. And it's like reading in black and white, watching something in black and white. It's still there, still very clear. You can make everything out. Like the old Wizard of Oz back in the day, black and white. It's fine. You don't know the better. But once you then go back and study the Old Testament, you get to know the Old Testament well. You reread the New Testament. It's like when Wizard of Oz came out in color. It's like, wow, this is amazing. So much more vibrant, even clearer than I thought. I thought it was clear before. Now it's extra clear. That's getting to the New Testament, getting to Christ after you've gone through the Old Testament as well. You know, some other facts here. The Old Testament, as you know, was the only Bible Jesus had and the only Bible the old church, uh, early church knew. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament yet. So at first, they exclusively relied on the Old Testament. Now, of course, they understood new revelation was being given right then and there. But uh, they were primarily, and Jesus was relying on the Old Testament. Now, he was his own authority, of course, but when he turned to the Word, it was the Old Testament. New Testament writers likewise believe that God gave the Old Testament for the church. So listen, this will become clear later, but just catch this phrase. The Old Testament was not given to the church. The Old Testament was given for the church, if that makes sense. The Old Testament was not given to the church. It was written for national Israel, but it's still given for the church. It's still revelation for the church that we do apply Not in the same way Israel applied the Old Testament. We're not under the law. Uh, Which, again, I'll keep saying will become clear later. I guess, take my word for it. But uh, we still relate to it in a special way. It's given for the church. The New Testament writers understood that. Like Romans 15.4, 
Paul says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and Paul's talking about the wilderness generation. I mean, that whole chapter won't make any sense unless you know the Old Testament. But he says, now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Paul very much believed the Old Testament uh, was maybe not written for, to us, certainly for us. We need it. In fact, he told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15, he reminded him, he says that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, now that Christ has come, you must know Christ and the name of Jesus to be saved. But Paul knew that the Old Testament scriptures have all the wisdom and revelation needed to bring you to that place of faith, trusting that God will then reveal Christ to you. That typically happens at the same time someone shares Christ with someone. But the Old Testament has all the wisdom and revelation that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. New Testament authors continue to view the Old Testament through the lens of Christ as a basis of exhortation. As you read the New Testament, you find plenty of Old Testament references that it still relates. Again, it applies differently. We see it through the lens of Christ, but it still relates. Like Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you. They may live long on the earth. And countless examples of how the New Testament will tie in Old Testament exhortations. And though it may not directly relate in the same way as Israel, it still relates. That's on us to figure out how. You can't do that unless you know the original, know the Old Testament. I think that's enough for now. We could really go on and on and on about how important the Old Testament is to understanding the new Hopefully this little survey has sufficed in just, well, hopefully convincing you that if you're going to read the New Testament in color, which is the most relevant revelation for us, you've got to know your Old Testament. You've got to know it well. Not just a cursory read-through, but just study it. You're reading it. You're really becoming familiar with it. And I have to say, even if the Old Testament was never quoted in the New Testament, it still would be worthwhile to study and to know. It's still God's word. It's still inspired scripture. It's God breathed. Things have changed. We've moved into the new covenant era of the church, but we still find timeless truths in God's Old Testament, and we need to study it more. And that's what this series is designed on Sunday nights. We're going to help you with that because it can be difficult. It's, the Bible is a big book, but the, the goal of our time together in the weeks to come is to help you with that, help you get to know it better. Overall, like I said before, to enrich your own reading and studying as well, which you just got to do. I can't read it for you. Well, I guess we could. We could sit and read it together. That'd take a long time. You need to be reading it yourself as well. Now, with a little bit of time we have left, I want to accomplish one more thing here. Let's give you a little more introduction to the Old Testament overall. You know, from here on out in the future, we're going to be looking at individual books one by one. But I still want us to consider the big picture of the big picture. I want you to think about the Old Testament organization. This is just helpful, giving you a frame of reference for just thinking about the Old Testament overall. We've been very fortunate and blessed to travel. And so we've been to places like Madrid and Tokyo and really love traveling and when I go to a place like that, especially in a different country, one thing I do before I go, I'm kind of nerdy and weird, I guess, but I like to study a map, just a little bit, a city map before the trip. Not trying to learn like street names, not trying to memorize details, but I just like to find out where are the major neighborhoods, what are the major highways or like train routes connecting them? Just what are the landmarks in relation to one another? It's kind of like to do that. Why? We know just basic knowledge of city neighborhoods and landmarks goes such a long way in navigation. How do people navigate? I mean, you can't know all the details of a big city, but most people just use neighborhoods and landmarks as a point of reference. 
That's how we navigate. You can't know all the details of a city, but most just use neighborhoods and landmarks to get around. At the very least, it's going to get you pretty close to where you want to go. Like, hey, where's that restaurant? Oh, it's right next to the university. Or it's in the Shinjuku district. Or it's, it's right around the corner from the clock tower. Right? You know, neighborhoods, landmarks. We just re-navigate by frames of reference. It goes a long way. You can kind of think of the Old Testament that way. The Old Testament can be divided into major sections, neighborhoods, if you will. And understanding these divisions or groupings can really help orient you to the, actually the, the purpose and the themes of the Old Testament, the flow of the Old Testament. Helps you know like where you are. If you're going to study any passage, it gives you the bigger context already. And so I just want to spend a little time, give you a quick intro to, you could say like the neighborhoods of the Old Testament, the divisions of the Old Testament. Now, if you have an English Bible, turn to the table of contents. Or if you want to get a pew Bible, just turn to the table of contents. Give you the quick overview of the English Bible, our English translation. And how the Old Testament is organized. There are five neighborhoods there in those 39 books. The first is, we call the Torah, the Pentateuch. First five books, the Law, Genesis, through Deuteronomy. And uh, we will talk about that shortly. But you see in the Torah, the origins of creation and Israel, God's covenant. The Torah is the first and foremost neighborhood. You have to know this super well. So much so that, you know, before we actually get to Genesis, next week will be one more big picture of just the Torah big picture next week. That's how important it is. The second neighborhood, you might call the historical books. And for lack of a better term, they're just called the historical books. The next 12. I should probably go to my table of context as well. But Joshua Judges Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those 12. They're in order. It's Joshua through Esther, the historical books. They're mostly chronological after the Exodus. They cover the conquest, the time of the judges, the origin of the kings, David's reign, Solomon's reign, the United Kingdom, the divided kingdom, the fall of Israel, the fall of Judah, coming back from exile, and that's where they end. There's a lot in there. The historical books is not just history. It's a theological history with a purpose. It's real history, though. And uh, we need to find out, well, the history and the purpose, the message. There's both. That's the second neighborhood, the historical books. The third neighborhood, the next five books, we call the wisdom books. The wisdom books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These are not chronological. Now you're jumping around. Job is like before or during the time of the patriarchs. This is just a compilation of the inspired poetry and wisdom literature of Israel. And it's very rich in itself, the wisdom literature. The fourth neighborhood, we call the major prophets. The next five, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the major prophets. They're called major just because of their size, their length, their prominence, their, their larger. I believe Jeremiah, by word count, is the longest book in the Old Testament. You know, Psalms by chapter is the longest, but I think Jeremiah has the most words in the whole Bible. They're long. They're written in various times in Israel's history, you know, right before the exile, during the exile, right after the exile. They both rebuke Israel for her idolatry that led to the exile, yet also explain God's providential purpose in allowing the exile. I've said the exile a lot. If you don't know what that is, you will. It's a big deal. Exodus, exile, they're huge. And even in relation to the coming of the Messiah and God's purpose and plan for everything, we'll find that out. Last neighborhood, referred to as the minor prophets, and the the last 12 books. Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They're so-called, because of their smaller size and length, the minor prophets, obviously, the various prophets, some ministered to northern Israel, some ministered to Judah in the south. Various times, these are not chronological, so it can be confusing because they're hopping around from north to south, you know, old, new. 
They're not strictly chronological. And they have various messages. Some are rebukes. Some are calls to repentance. Some are oracles of judgment. But then they include encouragement and hope and promise and Messiah, kingdom. And they're important as well. And so our study through this new Sunday night series is going to be broken up into five sections corresponding to these five Old Testament divisions or neighborhoods. And each time we'll probably start off with an introduction to the section itself. But already, just build a familiarity with them. If you start off just knowing which Old Testament books belong to which neighborhood, you would do well. That's already, hey, that's great. Just you're getting an understanding of just the Old Testament overall. If you can even commit to memory the books of the Old Testament and those five divisions, make that a challenge for you. That's a great thing to do just in navigating your own Bible. Now, last thing I'll mention here because our time is up. Uh, Just so you know, though, the Hebrews organized their Bible a little bit different. Now, the same content. The same books of the Bible, the same content, is organized differently than our English Bible. And the reason you should know that at just a high level is because when Jesus referenced the Old Testament, he, he was thinking of it per the Hebrew organization, not this modern day organization. Now granted, they didn't have a bound book back then. The Old Testament was a series of scrolls, but it's still organized per Hebrew standards. The Hebrew Bible was referred to as the Tanakh. You never heard of that before? The Tanakh? Just a couple. And uh, the Tanakh is an acronym. It's taken from the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet for the three neighborhoods in the Hebrew Bible. So according to their organization, there's three sections, not five. It's the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The T, the N, the K, the Tanakh. That's why they call it the Tanakh. The Torah, that's the first five books. The same as ours, Torah. First five always go together. And then the Nevim, that refers to the prophets. They put all of the prophets together. The former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. The latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the Twelve. The minor prophets, for them, was just one book called the Twelve. We have 12 little books. There's just one book called the Twelve. It fit on one scroll, we think. But that's the Nevim, the prophets. And then lastly was the Ketuvim, the writings. This referred to the three poetic books. You don't have to write this down, by the way. Just like Google this if you need to. It's going to be too fast to write it down. But the three poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Job. Then the five Megillot books. That just means the five scrolls. These just kind of always went together and a different one was read on a different feast. So this was Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. And then the other books, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles. You don't have to know all those divisions. Just know the three major ones. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Have you heard that before? You probably have because we read it earlier in Luke 24, uh, verse 44, when Jesus referenced, and Paul at times, the Old Testament. It's, they often mention this threefold division. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And that's significant to know Because Jesus himself affirmed the inspiration of the law and the prophets and the writings. That's our same Old Testament. Just organized differently. The organization is not inspired. That's fine. The content is inspired. And Jesus affirmed the law, the writings, the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. That's important to know. Primarily today, you want to get familiar with your English Bible. Because that's what we use. So we're going to use our five neighborhoods uh, on, on how it's organized today. But it still would be good for you to have a little familiarity with how it once was organized because that's how Jesus himself uh, interacted with the Old Testament. Well, there's a little more I want to cover with this Old Testament introduction, but we're going to save it for next week. We also want to know the landmarks. I mentioned, you know, we navigate with neighborhoods and landmarks. Neighborhoods are those five divisions. The landmarks you might think of as, as the key events the landmark events of the Old Testament, knowing the major, like the plot line, which which runs through these key events, goes such a long way, just orienting yourself. You can immediately pick up any prophet, like is this pre-exilic or post-exilic? And that you already have a frame of reference of like where you are in time, and and that's going to help you with purpose and meaning and, and more. So we'll do we'll do this next time in brief, but just a little intro to the key landmarks 
of the Old Testament. I'll read you the list right now, just shortly. Creation, fall, flood, Babel, Abraham, the patriarchs, Egypt, Exodus, the wilderness, conquest, judges, united kingdom, divided kingdom, northern exile, southern exile, return from exile. Now, if that was just all like nonsense to you, well, you really need to be here. So it won't be nonsense to you. And if you knew all of that, praise the Lord, you're still going to learn something new, I bet. You need to be here too. But anyway, this Old Testament history is going to dovetail perfectly into our study for next week, which will primarily be an introduction to the Torah, which the first five books, about half of those landmark events are in the first five books. It's so critical. And so next time we're actually going to come back, we'll do a little more OT introduction, primarily Torah introduction. And then after that, it's Genesis and we're off. And hopefully this will get you going. If you take away anything just from this initial introduction tonight, it'd be a challenge to, to, to have a high view of the Old Testament. That's it. If you leave just like, you know, I think I need to up my view of the Old Testament, you know, mission accomplished. Too many have a low view of the Old Testament. Even if you say otherwise, if you neglect it in your reading and studying, well, you have a low view of the Old Testament. But you need to come to see it as God's special revelation through Israel, but it's still so significant today. You come to cherish all of God's word, everything he has ever revealed. Even if it does differently apply, well, resolve to figure that out because you take seriously all that God has said. That's why we're here because we love God. We do love his word. I just want to know what has he said and what does it mean for today? He has revealed that begins with the Old Testament and we want to take that seriously and we're here to do that together for the next several weeks and months to help you in that process that you would grow in your faith and practice as well. I think that's it. So let me pray for us and we'll looking forward to this new study. I hope you are as well and join me in a word of prayer. Our gracious God, we're, we're grateful for your word. And we can confess with, with David and the other psalmists that you know, your, your word is a delight to our souls. It's a light to our path. It shows us the God we serve, your character, your nature, also your deeds, your acts, who, who you are, what you have done. We, we find the revelation of our God in the scriptures, even the Old Testament. And the same goes for our Savior. Though he was not named per se, he was, he's all over the Old Testament. And if we want to draw nearer to our God and to our Savior, and we need that Old Testament foundation. It's all your word, inspired, profitable, and able to, uh, able to equip us for every good work. And I pray we're convicted this evening that we need to just get into your word, saturate ourselves with it, old and new. We really need a both and, but we do pray you, you bless this time and our study from here on out, that it will be really profitable and not just pure information, but also applicational. We will see how your word does relate and is meant to lead to lives of holiness and godliness and, and fruit bearing in Christ. Just uh, make it a, a truly profitable time. We pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.